you probably know our heart, know the things that we love to talk about. And, and there's, there's things that are important that we need to talk about as well. And the reason I'm starting in this place, because if it's your first time here at Golfside, or if it's your first time here in a while, you might step in and as we start today's message, you'll be like, oh no, another church that's talking about money. Out of 104 Sundays, this is the second week of a two-week series about finances and generosity. So 102 times of Gulfside Church, this is the second one. And so I think that if you've been around for a while, you know that our heart isn't to talk about money all the time because this is like 98% of the time we don't talk about it. But, but it is so important, and we have so many people who are new to the faith and new to the church that they don't understand what Scripture teaches on this subject yet, and they want to know. And so it's important that we as a church teach the whole truth of Scripture. And the fact is, as Jesus taught a little bit over, uh, over 10%, about 14% of his teachings were on finances. Jesus talked about money. Throughout Scripture, there's about 2,300 references to managing wealth, to, to giving, and to finances. You can't read through Scripture without bumping into the reality that God has things to say about the way we use the resource that we call money and wealth. And we as a church, we are so incredibly blessed to be in this nation. And this was a truth that we started with last week because it's kind of tough to swallow at first, but we know that it's true. When we look across the population of the world, we here in the United States, we are rich. I mean, we, we don't like to admit it, but the fact is only 6 to 9% of the world's population owns a car. If you own a car, you, you now belong in the top 10% of wealthiest people across the world. We, we are blessed to an incredible degree, and we believe that when we're blessed, that there's a reason for it, and that's to be a blessing to other people. And so we as a church, we need to recognize that we have a calling, we have a responsibility. Scripture uses the term, we are stewards of a, of a resource that we will in turn be accountable for how we use them. And so we, we want to be someone who is faithful in what we've been given, and we want to be a generous people. And the, the, the phrase that I started off with last week that I want to bring back to you again this week is generosity is what we want for people, not from them. We want you to experience a generous life because there's a part of your heart and your person that is designed to love helping other people. And it might feel almost kind of guilty to admit it, but it's one of those things that when we get to help something, someone else with something, there's a part of us that's like, yeah, that was awesome. I loved getting to do that. I could have used that money, I could have used that time, I could have used that knowledge for something else for myself, but I got to help them, and that felt pretty good. I'm going to tell you, that's not by accident. God designed us in a way that we're, we're supposed to serve our city, we're supposed to serve each other, we're supposed to serve our family, and we're supposed to live generous lives. But one of the funny things about generosity, there's been so many missteps in the past, and there's been so many things that we've heard about on the news at other churches that we, we kind of tense up when the church starts to talk about money, and, and it's not as bad as it has been in the past. Did you know that there was actually a war fought over tithing? I mean, that, that, that's weird, but it's, it's legit. 1831 to 1836 in England and Ireland, there's known, what is known as the tithe war. And what happened is they had a national church, and, and the king 
had decided that it was no longer the Catholics that would receive the tithes, but he's going to move it over to the Protestants. And they were forcing people to pay a tithe to a religion, to, to a belief that they didn't hold. And understandably so, people were irate about it. People were upset, and they fought back, and it became known as the tithe war. Because we know that when we have to give to something that our heart isn't in, it feels terrible. And I'm not just talking about taxes. I'm not talking about what the government does with our money. There's lots of areas that we could talk about being upset about how, the, how other people are spending our money. But where I start from is this message is for the person who's saying, I, I want to know how Scripture says I should manage my finances. This message, you know, most of my messages, like, I want to move you towards one certain thing, one certain point. This message is very informative. It's going to be a little different than most of my messages where I take one passage and we'll, and we'll break it down and we'll get into the very specifics of just one or two verses. We're going, to, we're going to almost cover like front to back of the Bible today in what is kind of an overview of giving. And there's a couple of verses that we'll really lean into, but I want to provide for some of our people who are newer to the church some information about giving through the history of Scripture. Because right from the very beginning, from the point where Adam and Eve made that decision to rebel against God and fall, we, we begin to see what was the very first sacrifice, and it was actually God himself, where, where he took animal skin and he made clothes. And, it, and it's this small detail, but it's interesting because it's what's understood as the first offering that happened in Scripture. It, it was the first time that something of worth was used to cover for someone else, to provide forgiveness for someone else. And, and it's this small thing, and it's an important thing because as you get into Adam and Eve's kid's life, Cain and Abel, we, we step right into, in Genesis 4, this situation where it's the, it's the famous Cain and Abel story, where they both had an offering that they brought before God. If you're not familiar with, with it, what happened is Cain, the older brother, he brought an offering uh, of fruit and plants before God, and his younger brother Abel brought an offering of the best of his flock. And they both presented offerings to God, and it's not too clear on exactly how this got communicated, but the fact is clear in the passage that Cain's offering was rejected by God. I mean, he brought something that was of worth, it was of financial worth, it was of time, and he brought it and he gave it to God, and God didn't accept it. I mean, he had giving that God didn't want. But Abel, his, his was received by God. And in Scripture, in, in Genesis 4, it tells us this, this story of how God told him, if you do what's right, won't your head be lifted up? It's obvious there's things in Cain's life that wasn't right for him. In the, in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, the Apostle Paul is writing about it, and he actually calls back to that story, and he says, it was by faith that Abel's offering was accepted. Now, this is important because when we start talking about giving, it has to be something that is part of our heart, part of our belief. No one else can force you into giving. You should not be pressured by your pastor to give, but this is, should be something that just overflows from your heart. And from Cain's example, when we give when we don't want to, God looks at that and he says, that doesn't really mean much to me. But when you give out of a faithful heart, when, when it matches up with the way that you're living your life, God rejoices in that. But from the very beginning, we see these examples of giving begin to occur. And, and the first point that I want you guys to know as we talk about giving and how we understand giving, the first point is our giving is connected to our faith in God. Our giving is connected to our faith in God. 
And that's why whenever we talk about the offering here, I want to reaffirm to you, there's not pressure about this. But if you want to know what you should give, don't ask me. Ask God and follow what he puts on your heart. Follow what he puts on your mind. Walk in obedience to him. Don't look to someone else to answer that, but that's something that you have to search scripture and you have to listen to God and obey. Because I've seen people who've walked faithfully and they they could only give a small amount at that time. And as they were faithful with little, God trusted with them trusted them with more. There, there's so many accounts uh, of incredible people um, who, who, one of the examples, that his last name is Letourneau. Um, he, he's responsible for actually building lots of Christian colleges around the U.S. He, he became incredibly wealthy, and he lived off of 10% and gave 90% away because that's what he had peace in his heart about. And, and giving, it has to match up with our faith. It has to match up with our belief. It can't be something that gets pressured onto us. And giving, it's been, you know, for, we see it begin almost with Adam and Eve, and then we see this, this standard of bringing a gift before God, even in the lives of the children, Cain and Abel, and then continuing to Abram. Uh, when, when we go through these Genesis stories, we see giving was around. And I want to touch on this because this is important, because as we see how Abram and Jacob interacted with giving, I want you to recognize that these interactions were, were before Moses' time. They were before the giving of the law. And that's interesting because in the law, as we'll see in a minute, that's when it was actually written out and Israel was told the tithe is holy and it's the Lord. But we're going to see that tithing was actually going on before it was given in the law. And so in in Genesis, in in chapter 28, verse 21, I'm sorry, that's Jacob. We're going to get there in a minute. I'm skipping ahead. Genesis 14, 20, we see this, this situation, which is a story that's familiar to many of you, and it was Abram who had gone out to defend himself, had gone out to recapture what was stolen from him, and as he was coming back, he came across the priest of Melchizedek, and he saw him, and and he worshiped God and gave a tenth away. And and in Abram's life, he already tithed, and then we see Jacob, who, this was when Jacob was on his way out to search for a wife, and, and he had this interaction at Bethel, and in verse 20 it says, then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me, and protect me on this journey. And if you will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And then verse 22, and this memorial pillar I've set up will become a place of, for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. It's interesting that in both cases of giving, before the giving of the law, both of these people identified that a tenth is what I give to God. And it's interesting that even going back to Cain's story, Cain couldn't pull the you didn't tell me excuse because the law hadn't been given where it was said, do not murder. But Cain obviously already knew that murdering was wrong. And he couldn't, he couldn't lean into the, well, you hadn't said, you hadn't written. There was things that they already knew. But the giving of the law that we see in Moses is, is reaffirming things that God's people were already doing. And what, what we find and what's important for us to understand when it comes to giving, and this is the, the second thing that I want us to be clear on, is that giving a tithe predated the law. We see examples in the Old Testament that people were already giving and they had already identified 10%. And it wasn't prescribed, it wasn't required the way it was in the nation of Israel. And, and I apologize if this is like too historical, but I, I just, I really feel like this is important for us to have a grip on. That in the nation of Israel, when it was set up, they had rules about how they lived in every area of life. And so they clearly guideline that this is the standard amount of giving. This is what we consider God's. 
But so many of those were already in action in God's people before that time. And so when we, when we get into the giving of the law as it, as it is known, what happened when they described the tithe is the tithe was not invented at the giving of the law, but it was directed specifically to the Levites at the giving of the law who would serve as priests for them and as priests for God's house. Now the law, we, when we think of the law, we think of the lights turning on behind us when we're not going the speed limit. We, we think um, of the, the property tax that we have to pay. We think of those laws that you know, we don't really get much choice in. But for Israel as a nation, each person was called to follow the law because it wasn't just the law of the land, it was a covenant relationship. And, and this is important to understand because the law was given with a promise. And while people were called to tithe, they were called to tithe because as they did that, God said, as you follow my laws, as you follow my decrees, I'm going to meet you there with blessings. But, it, but if you run from my decrees, then, then these blessings are going to withdraw from you as well. And this was true to the nation of Israel. This is how they were supposed to live. And if they turned to other gods, then, then the blessings that God promised them actually would become curses. And what happened is as they did that, they were defeated by other nations and pulled out of their country just as Scripture said. And so even in the Old Testament, there, there was this calling to be someone who gave, but there was a realization that you're giving in relationship to your God. That as you obey him in these areas, he says that he's going to show up and he's going to show himself faithful in, in the areas of provision. And, and so, for example, Leviticus, just to clarify what it says about tithing. In Leviticus 27, verse 30, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord and it is holy to the Lord. Now, when we say tithe, we tend to use tithe when we talk about any giving that we give to church. But tithing, in its most literal sense, in the biblical sense, it just means a tenth. And it's saying anything that, that, that you, as the Israelites, bring in, a tithe of it, it belongs to the Lord. And this was their view of their finances. That, that everything came from God, but 10% of whatever came in from the field, in the flock, if they had sold land, anything that came in, 10% of that, it didn't belong to us. It belonged to him. And so giving, actually, it was never understand as me giving my tithe. It, it was, this is God's tithe, and then the term offering that you've heard around church, an offering is anything above the tithe. And so they would bring their offerings, and they would give off offerings, but they would, they would return the tithe, or they would pay the tithe, because they understood that was never theirs to keep. And this is the Old Testament. This is the, the Israelite understanding uh, of giving. Uh, and we, I, I want to just stop and identify. For most of us in the room, giving something like 10% is terrifying. Like, we, we don't even know how we would do that in this day and age. And, and I recognize that. And I believe, and this is one of the reasons why I'm saying, I'm not telling you what to give. But I want you to see what's in Scripture. And I want you to talk to God. And I want you to have peace and joy about what you give when you give. But in Scripture, the Israelites saw that 10% as belonging to God. And that was the beginning of their giving. 
That wasn't the end of it. And like in situations in Exodus 36, when they were working on building a, a sanctuary for the Lord, they, they were, the Israelites above their tithes were giving in a way that Moses had to, in verse 36, verse 6, he had to give an order and sent word through the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing, bringing more. The generosity that we see in, in, in the people of God it went above and beyond that. But at the same time, there are seasons where what we see in Scripture is a correction to the Israelites because they had strayed so far from what they had been commanded and taught about teaching. Malachi 3 is one of those passages that if you've been around church for a while, it makes you nervous when we talk about giving because it was speaking to the Israelites and it actually describes them as robbing God of the tithe. And in Malachi verse 3, verse Eight, it says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is interesting because this is one of the areas where God actually challenges us to test him is in giving. Now, I, I want to recognize and I want to say, this is a tough subject. Finances, it's just so close to the heart. I mean, it's so close to the heart that so, we, it's so common in our culture to say, you know, I love this person and I want to marry them. I want to spend my life with them. But before we do that, I want you to sign this prenuptial agreement so that I can protect my money from you. I mean, money is so close to the heart that, that it actually stays closer than marriage at times. Money, it creates a sense of security, a sense of safety. It creates the, the sense that I'm going to be okay even if go, things go wrong. It creates a sense of, a lot of the senses we should have in our trust of who God is. I mean, the way, the way that Jesus talked about it, he said, you can't serve two masters, both God and money. You'll, you'll hate one and love the other. And no one in this church has ever or will ever receive a call from me saying, hey, I think you need to give more. This is something that will only ever be between you, your family, and God. But as we think about giving, I want you to be able to honestly answer the question for yourself. Is God in first place in my heart or am I allowing money to squeeze its way in there? Have I, have I segmented my life where, where, where finances have a place where God is not allowed to touch? Because in the end, we can easily stray into an area where, where money becomes the master on our life instead of God himself. And so, so that's some of the Old Testament overview, the way that they saw the tithe, the way that they saw giving, the fact that that was the beginning of it. And then, okay, breath of fresh air. We'll get into the New Testament now. We get into the Gospels, where Jesus begins to talk about, about finances. And, and as I said, you know, he, he identifies we can't serve two masters. And in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, there's what the, the, the situation of the widow's might. And this is where Jesus, he was watching, and people were coming in, and they were putting their offering into the container. And what people in this time would do, it, it, it was a, a container where as you dropped coins in, it would make a loud noise. And the rich people, they would love to come and slowly, like, drop just one coin at a time and, like, make it really jingle as they walked by. 
And as they were doing this, and the rich people liked to be seen while they were doing it, Jesus identified a widow who dropped two small coins in. And he looked at them, and there's people who are giving vast amounts, and people who are give, and this widow who was just giving a very small amount. And he picked her out, and he said, her gift is better than anyone else's. Because while they gave out of their surplus, she gave a small amount, but she gave everything that she had. And Jesus begins to identify this truth to his people, that it's not about just how much you give, how big the number is. It's in relation to what's going on in your life and what God has, has given you. And so she's giving this small amount, but it's a big deal for her because it's everything, and Jesus celebrates that. And this is why you've heard me in the past as we've referenced the, the offering, whatever God has put on your heart to give, be found faithful in that. If at this stage you're giving a dollar a month, then awesome. Be faithful to what God has put on your heart. Be found faithful. And, and so Jesus, he identifies it's not just about the amount, but it's about what's going on in the situation. And, and he, he describes in Jesus' teaching in Luke 6 a truth about giving when he says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Now, these are Jesus' words, not mine, but there is a truth, and I'm going to tell you that this is found in every area of your life. Every area of your life, when you are faithful in that area, you will see God's blessing return on that. And the same is true in finances. And as it says, you know, the amount that you will get back, I don't want you to understand that. I don't believe the text indicates that you just get back finances. As if if you give more, you just always get financially more back. That's not necessarily true. God will allow you to give at times and go through financially difficult times, but what you get back, you would rather have than the finances. What you get back is the opportunity to look and see that you are walking with integrity, walking the way God has asked you to walk, seeing the way that those finances that you give, even through difficulty, are being a blessing to someone else. And just like I said, we were made for generosity. When you see God using finances that you were a part of giving to, to, to rescue a family in need, it's easy to step back and be like, you know, that $100 that I gave last month, I don't miss it. Because I know that we got to help pay the rent for a family that was facing eviction that desperately needed help. I know that we got to get that working mom back in her car so she could get back to work and take care of those little kids. I know that we got to make a difference in a missionary's life who's serving overseas through, through the most difficult of circumstances. And that brings more joy and more fulfillment than what that $100 would have done in my life. There's a truth that God will bring that back and that blessing back, and sometimes he returns it financially. Sometimes it's a sense of fulfillment. Sometimes it's a realization that I am walking with obedience, and I won't let money be a master over my life. The way that God returns that blessing to you, it may look different at different times. But I believe Jesus is faithful, and I believe that he's true when he says that blessing will return to you. And there is a cost there's a cost to, to giving. I mean, it, it, it means that there's things that we maybe would like to do but we're not able to do. But that doesn't mean we, we shouldn't be faithful in that. I mean, giving in Acts 4, 4 was incredibly sacrificial amongst the early church. This is that situation where people were going, and they, I mean, they were selling 
plots of land and they were selling houses and they were taking the money and they were just bringing it to the feet of the apostles to use for the building of the church. I mean, giving in the New Testament, it it went from just being a tithe to this extreme sacrificial giving that was far beyond the tithe. And so in the New Testament, we not only see Jesus affirms the tithe and he says the Pharisees should be doing that, but they should not neglect mercy and compassion. But then the early church built upon that and gave in extravagant ways. And so in Acts 4, we see the sacrificial giving occurring, but I really like the way the Apostle Paul sums up giving in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10. And we're going to look at this passage as we, as we start moving towards a close in this. And he writes, remember this, a farmer who, who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. We understand that illustration, right? If you only plant a few seeds, only a little will grow from that. But the more seeds that you plant, the more that you invest, the more that there's return. We we understand that concept. In verse 7, and this this is what I want you to hear from me. I mean, we hear the truth of the standard that was set in the giving in the the early church, in the Old Testament times, in the tithe. It it was there. It was affirmed before the giving of the law and after the giving of the law. But this is important to us. This is important to you when you decide on how to give. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now this might be harder for you to take in and receive to apply to your own life. So let's take the easier route. Let's apply this to the person sitting next to you. Don't you think the church should be filled with people all around you who are generous in a way that they're always prepared to give to you or give to someone else? I mean, don't you think that's the kind of church that you would like to belong to? Isn't that the church that you want in your city? Don't you want the city to be filled with other Christians that when they see a family that needs help, they're financially ready to help them? Isn't that a beautiful idea? It's true. It's great. I mean, if the church was doing its job across America, we wouldn't need the foster care system. We wouldn't need food stamps. We wouldn't need the WIC program if the church was active and ready. And and it's not that we ourselves or, or even just the churches in Cape Coral will solve all those issues this year or next year, but I want our heartbeat to be that we're going to be such a generous people that when we see a genuine need, we're going to fill it. I want us to decide in our heart that we need to live our lifestyle in a way that there is margin in our finances to be generous to other people, to be helpful to our city. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. And so that then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat it, to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then provide, produce a great harvest of generosity in you. The realization that verse 10 gives us that even what we have that we give from, it comes from God. What we use that come to, to purchase, the whole earth is the Lord's. And as we honor him in what he's given us, He's going to provide what we need. He's going to increase our resources. And he's going to produce a harvest of generosity in us. 
I really like the way that Mother Teresa addressed giving when she said, and we'll put this up on the screen, it's not how much we give, but it's how much love we put into giving. We as a church, we want to be generous. We want to be helpful. I remember when T and I were new parents and a great deal younger than we are today, and we were living in a little, about a thousand square foot house that backed up to a trailer park and railroad tracks. It was beautiful, y'all. You would have loved it. Downtown Toledo, it was great, Toledo, Ohio. And we didn't have much. And we were connected at our church and we were in a small group, some good friends. And one of the nights, the transmission went out on our van. Tia was still a college student accruing debt, which was wonderful. And we, or she had just finished college and we just, we didn't have money. And so we didn't even know what to do. And at our small group, one of the guys in the group handed us an envelope. And he had a smile on his face and I opened it and there is a thousand dollars in it. It sounds fun to get a thousand dollars, but it's kind of, it's kind of terrifying when it's you who needs the help. And I told him, I was like, I, I don't think we can take this from you. And he said, you have to, because we love getting to do this. And me financially at that age in my life, like we didn't, we still had the 24 inch TV that was like the big cabinet thing. Like we didn't have much. I couldn't even imagine having a thousand dollars, let alone just giving it to someone else to use. I couldn't understand that type of generosity yet. But it confused me even further when he was like, I love getting to do this. I mean, I know many of us are like, oh, it'd be fun to get $1,000, but how much more fun is it to be the person who's been managing your finances in a way that when someone you know and you care about has a need, you can pull $1,000 out and hand it to them. The design of God's church is that we're generous. And we may or may not be in the place in life where we can help someone to that degree, but we wanna choose to live our lifestyle in a way that there is some margin to be generous to those in need. Because from the very beginning to the very end of scripture, we see a call to generosity. We see a call to give in our city. We see a call to give in the place where we worship. And my heartbeat for you is that when we talk about finances, because it comes up in scripture, when we talk about it, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable in your chair. I want you to feel like you have peace about what you give. I want you to feel like you have a confirmation that this is what we're called to give, and we give it regularly, we give it faithfully, and I know God rejoices over it, whether it's two mites, like the widow who could barely give anything, or if it's a generous gift that you try to not let anyone know about because you feel embarrassed about how much you're giving, wherever you are in that spectrum, we want giving to be a joy. So talk to God about it. Do what he calls you to do be the church he wants us to be in this city. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you so loved us that you gave your son, that, that your example of generosity has always been above and beyond what we could ever achieve, that you give us everything that we have and allow us to keep 90 and call us to use 10 to be a blessing to other people. And so, Father, give us the strength and the courage to reorder things if they need to be reordered. Give us peace 
about what you call us to give in this season, whether it's a little or a lot. Help us to give it as an act of worship and joy. And I thank you that as we honor you in that area, you provide. And you are faithful. In Jesus' name.